This is Taekwondo Lewis. You're listening to Dash to the Draft on Sports Crunch. Welcome back to Sports Crunch with D. Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromelo. This is our second of eight division-by-division recaps of the 2018 NFL Draft, and we continue today with the AFC West. This division saw two of the draft's best defenders land on its turf, as well as arguably the most head-scratching class of the year. And to help us break it all down, it's a pleasure to welcome our good friend Nick Kendall of MileHighHuddle.com back to the program. How are you, Nick? I am doing pretty well. The draft is over, and I'm already starting to shift on to 2019, but going to enjoy this nice weather, summer, and maybe try to get back into baseball over these next couple months. Oh, absolutely. That race in the uh, uh, National League North uh, looks, or NL Central, uh, forgive me, I'm getting my football and baseball mixed up. I'm not a big baseball whore at all. That looks like it's going to be a four-way race throughout. Yeah, and it's always good to see the Cubs and the Cardinals kind of go back and forth at it. That's I'm a big Cardinal fan, so those two teams being good makes it a lot really exciting. And most of my friends are Cub fans, so there's bragging rights on the line. Oh, uh, oh, I feel you, man. But it's going to be a, a, an intriguing race all the way to the very end. And let's start out with this uh, AFC West draft recap with the team you cover for MileHighHuddle.com, the Denver Broncos. And they reportedly only had three targets in mind with the fifth overall pick, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold and Bradley Chubb, and you could correct me if my information is off, but uh, that's what I heard at least. And if none were there, they were prepared to trade down with the Bills. And when Bradley Chubb unexpectedly fell into their laps, they couldn't resist passing on him, and rightfully so. What does Bradley Chubb bring to the Broncos' pass rush that was missing since DeMarcus Ware hung up his cleats? Well, Bradley Chubb is definitely one of the most refined and overall talented edge rushers the Broncos have had opposite of Von Miller since DeMarcus Ware, like you stated. He's a power edge rusher, very refined, uses his hands extremely well. He still could add some technique and work on some counter moves for his ability to get off blocks. But I mean, just talk about a complete package and he's going to be able to stay on the field all, all three downs. I mean, he's not a liability in the run game. I would say that's a strength of his. He can still get better there as far as his consistency, but the potential through the roof, and he's already extremely good as a run defender. And then he can play the two-point stance, three-point stance, nine technique, seven technique. So I'm, I'm excited about it. If there wasn't a quarterback with the fifth pick, the only player I would have been was going to be happy with was Bradley Chubb just because he makes Von Miller that much better. And I am, I'm just stoked to see those two working together for the next five years. And I think it's going to make that Broncos defense, you know, go to that next level again. I'm not going to say they're going to be the 2015 defense, but it starts with that pass rush. And if you have a guy like Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, yeah, I mean, you're going to be harassing quarterbacks. So I'm very excited to see how those two work together going forward. Oh, so am I. And, uh, and Von Miller's reaction on Instagram to the second they selected Bradley Chubb said it all. He was like uh, literally jumping up and down like a kid at his fifth birthday party. Yeah, I mean, Von Miller said he wanted to get 30 sacks. And the only way that's going to happen is if he gets some help up front because he's getting double and triple teamed at a rate that, I mean, we haven't seen since Watt when he was at his peak. So now that he's got a guy like Bradley Chubb, if they continue to double and triple team Von, they're going to pay for it. So I'm I'm really excited about it, and I hope that Elway, you know, continues to add to that defensive front. Maybe uh, add an interior pass rusher next year, just make them that much better again. Because pass rushing, I've always said it, it's synergistic. The more guys you have up front that can win one-on-ones consistently, the better everyone else is going to be. So Bradley Chubb and Von Miller potentially, you know, down the line, two top 
15 top 10 potential edge rushers on the same team. I mean, it's, it's going to be deadly and it's going to be a nightmare for anybody playing against the Broncos defense. It most certainly is. And uh, in the second round, the Broncos look toward the very near future uh, with the roster spot of Demarius Thomas in question after the 2018 season, given his age and 2019 cap hit of $17 million. The Broncos picked a near carbon copy of Thomas in SMU wide receiver, Cortland Sutton. Although Sutton is projected to be Thomas's long-term replacement at the ex-receiver position, he has similar holes in his game that Thomas had coming out of college, most notably the lack of a route tree. Thus, Broncos fans shouldn't expect that big of an impact from Cortland Sutton this year. However, it should be incumbent upon the Broncos to get Cortland Sutton some valuable snaps every week if they do indeed plan for him to succeed to Marius Thomas in 2019. Do you think they carve out a sizable package of red zone plays for Sutton where he could use that big body of his to play to his strengths early on? Or will he likely spend the entirety of the 2018 season on the bench barring an injury to Demarius Thomas? I think you hit the nail on the head. I think he's going to be used uh, sparingly this season. It's going to be more of a redshirt year. But given the Broncos' deficiencies in the red zone over the past few seasons, they're going to have red zone packages for him. You know, three wide receiver sets, some sets where Emmanuel Sanders has moved to slot. But I actually think Deshaun Hamilton, I'm sure we'll talk about him more, is going to be the guy that sees a majority of snaps this season just because he's perfect for that slot, what they need. But I'm really excited about Cortland Sutton. I don't think he's a carbon copy of Demarius Thomas. They both have route deficiencies, but I think Sutton's better attacking the football where Demarius was a much better athlete. I mean, there's, there's a significant difference between a 4-5-4-40, which Cortland Sutton ran, to a 4-3-8-40, which Demarius Thomas ran. So Demarius Thomas is, when he was younger, you know, he used to take those screens of the house all the time. He's not really that player anymore. But in Demarius Thomas's heyday, he was a much more down-the-field athlete than Sutton is. But I really like Sutton's game. I think he's going to be very much like Alshon Jeffrey, where he's not going to be a guy that's burning guys over the top consistently. You know, your safeties aren't going to be freaking out because he could potentially beat that cornerback. But if you leave him one-on-one with a cornerback, he's going to be able to outmuscle those guys. And his ability to change direction, as shown by his three-cone and all his agility drills, for his size is something special. So he's not going to really be that down-the-field threat where the single high safety is going to have to shift over him constantly. But if you leave him one-on-one, given his size and his ability to play above the rim like a basketball player, he's going to be a problem. So I'm excited about seeing him as that X receiver going forward in the future. And it gives the Broncos a lot of cap flexibility because Demarius Thomas's contract is pretty big next season. He's going to be 31, 32 years old, and they might be looking to move on. So Corlin Sutton's probably that future flanker for Demarius Thomas. Yes, and you and I talked uh, after this pick was made about uh, Cortland Sutton's uh, current lack of a route tree, at, which is normal for most receivers coming into the NFL. Keep that in mind. And some Broncos, fa- yes, and some Broncos fans were scared because they drafted Cody Latimer a couple years ago, and they were like, "Oh no, here we go again, another Cody Latimer. Uh, here we go again." And yes, uh, like Cody Latimer coming out of college, and like Demarius Thomas coming out of college, Cortland Sutton needs to work on his routes and gaining more separation. But unlike Cody Latimer, Cortland Sutton has a tremendous work ethic, plus those lateral agility types at the combine, particularly the three-cone drill, should give Broncos fans added encouragement that he can develop those separation skills uh, down the line. So do you agree with my sentiment that Broncos fans have to stop freaking out that this is Cody Latimer 2.0? Yeah, I think they should stop freaking out about that. They're different kind of players. I think... Sutton has a much more dog mentality in the air and body control in the air. So he always has that alpha trade to go for him. Vladimir, he showed some athletic ability, but he never really had that dog going for the football. 
And Sutton, by all accounts, he's going to be a guy who's going to work in there. I think the biggest worry that I have for Sutton, again, is the routes, but people need to be patient with him. You know, he's going to be a guy that gets better every single year. I mean, you saw how long it took for Demarius Thomas to finally reach his potential because it took him, you know, getting over some injuries and working with Peyton Manning to get his routes in line and get him cleaned up. And once they did, he was a very special and dynamic wide receiver, probably the most athletic wide receiver the Broncos have ever had in that regard. You know, I still I have a soft spot in my heart for Rod Smith, but Demarius Thomas would get him as far as height, weight, speed. But Sutton, I think he's going to be a good player for the Broncos. And to get him at 40, I actually had him 40th overall on my overall big board, so that was kind of funny as well. So it's, it's a good one, and it's a move for now, but also for the future. It most certainly is. And moving on to another draft pick, two years ago, the Broncos selected Justin Simmons, a safety for Boston College, at the tail end of round three. Now, Justin Simmons is arguably a top 15 safety in the NFL, if not top 10. Bleacher Report, Ian Wharton of Bleacher Report, had him as a top 10 safety uh, this past year, FYI. And this year, at pretty much the exact same spot, the Broncos took another defensive back from Boston College in cornerback Isaac Yadam. You and your colleagues at MileHighHuddle.com were absolutely ecstatic when this pick was made. Why should Broncos fans feel the same way, and would you be surprised if Yadam becomes a quality starter for the Broncos in 2019? The Broncos... Fans should be excited about Yadam because you need cornerback talent. If the Broncos are going to run the system that they've been running, you know, when they had Roby, Tlaib, and Harris. And Yadam is a very good fit for the scheme. He's going to have to add some weight and work on some of his backpedal. Right now, he's much more comfortable in his press technique, playing up on the line of scrimmage. And when he plays off, man, he looks lost. But that's something I think that can be improved. And he's a guy that has the mentality that you need to be a boundary corner. You know, sometimes you see those guys that are taller and a little lankier that don't like to hit. That's not the case with Isaac. Isaac likes to come down. He will lay some wood. He's not, he's not going to kill guys. You know, he's not going to see Denzel Ward decleat people like you saw. But I like what he brings. He's got the attitude for it. And I would not be surprised at all if he takes over the starting role two years from now. I think I'm not as high on him as Eric Trickle, who was, gosh, I, I don't even want to use words to describe how excited Eric Trickle was when that pick went through. But I think he's going to be a good player. And the biggest thing I'm excited about day one, special teams. This guy was a special teams dog. He played all four phases of special team and he gets after it. I mean, you can see his physical mentality. It translates when he's in press coverage, you can obviously see it on defense, but it's also there on special teams. I do have a little bit of concerns about his long speed, but if he works on his technique and clean up his uh, backpedal and keep working on his ability to flip his hips, you, to, to make up speed is something that players shouldn't have to rely on. If you have good technique and everything like that, the makeup speed is when you mess up and you have to catch back up to the guy. So keep adding that technique and with his attitude and his demeanor and length and overall tools, I think he has the potential to be a solid third starting quarterback for the Broncos. He most certainly does. I completely agree. And as uh, you mentioned his name a couple minutes ago, my personal favorite draft pick the Broncos made was their selection of Deshaun Hamilton, the wide receiver from Penn State in the fourth round. He was one of the biggest stars and one of my favorite players to watch during the week of practices at the Senior Bowl. He was always getting open with those amazing route running skills of his. And while many project him to play the slot early on, as you said, and rightfully so, can you also see him replacing Emmanuel Sanders as the number two boundary receiver opposite either Demarius Thomas or Cortland Sutton in 2019? I could see that. I don't think they have the same skill set. I don't think Hamilton as as dynamic getting vertically, but with his ability to 
utilize the entire route tree, especially for a guy coming in as a rookie. They, you can use him inside, outside, and he, he's just going to find a way to get on the field and make an impact. You know, we, like you mentioned on Twitter today, and I made this point also on Facebook, last season we saw three wide receivers go in the top ten in Corey Davis, Mike Williams, and John Ross. Granted, some injuries and, you know, guys around them had an effect on those guys having less than stellar seasons their rookie year. But we saw guys like Cooper Cup, Trenton Taylor, and obviously Juju Smith-Schuster have very solid rookie seasons. Why is that? Guys that come in with well-rounded route trees and the ability to gain separation, not just from being bigger, faster, and stronger than guys, but from running clean, concise routes are the guys that translate the quickest in the NFL these days. It's something that I've learned over these past three seasons, evaluating wide receivers. You know, I was head over heels with Carlos Henderson. I still like his potential, but it was what he did after he had the ball in his hands that made me love him. His ability to get separation and run routes, that was always going to be an issue. And, you know, live and learn. That's something that I'm looking for now more and more when I'm evaluating wide receivers. And Hamilton was one of my favorite route runners in this entire class. So I think he has a limited ceiling because he's not a super dynamic athlete. He's not going to bully guys in the air. He's not going to, you know, be burning cornerbacks over the top very often. But he's a guy that's going to get open consistently. And, you know, that, that's what matters in today's NFL. You, know, you have all these teams running these uh, Earnhardt Perkins offenses, you know, like the Patriots. And Carl, I don't know if you listened to the Huddle Up podcast yet, yet or the uh, Building the Broncos, as we call it now, for a Carl and I's show. But Carl compared him to Julian Edelman as a guy that just similar skill sets, similar athletic profiles. And I, I see it. Honestly, I see it. So I'm excited about Hamilton. And if he can live up to that Julian Edelman hype that Carl's been throwing on him, the Broncos got to steal. I, this was also one of my favorite picks of the Broncos class, and I think he's a guy that is going to make a day one impact for the Broncos. Yeah, and a couple of other comps I've seen floated for him were a guy Case Keenum played with last year in Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen is not the scariest athlete, but he gets open all the time. And uh, there are also some Doug Baldwin comparisons floated on Twitter, and Doug isn't the scariest athlete, but he's become Russell Wilson's most trusted receiver for years. So there is more potential than you think there is with Deshaun Hamilton, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, he's also a perfect fit for the Broncos because they really need a guy that can play that spot. I mean, they had hopes hopes for Carlos Henderson, but when you've been trying to roll out Benny Fowler, Jordan Norwood, Cody Latimer, I mean, Isaiah Burst, just just all these guys that are haven't lived up to it. I I think getting that third wide receiver out there is going to be huge for them. So I'm I'm excited about it, and I think Hamilton is a guy that is definitely going to have a year one impact for the offense and a weapon that the Broncos have sorely lacked. I definitely look forward to seeing Deshaun Hamilton in action this season. And moving on to the Oakland soon-to-be Las Vegas Raiders, who on paper had arguably the worst draft class of 2018. Mostly that was due to the fact that Reggie McKenzie and his scouts, very fine people, by the way, who I met at Saucecue down in Mobile, they were marginalized. Disgracefully so. And John Gruden essentially took over as GM. Uh, did you hear that they had essentially two different draft boards in their room? One was Gruden's board, the other was uh, Reggie McKenzie's board, and Gruden's board pretty much uh, took over throughout most of the draft? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely dysfunction in Oakland, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Yes, I understand that the Broncos fan in you um, uh, kind of likes this, but uh, as I mentioned, Reggie McKenzie and those scouts that I met down in Mobile, very nice people, but and the, and the way they're being treated right now is absolutely disgusting, dare I say. I feel very bad for them, seriously. But even worse... Yeah. Twice in the first three rounds, it appeared that Tom Cable, arguably the worst offensive line coach in the entire National Football League, 
He assumed the GM duties as the Raiders reached on two project offensive tackles, Colton Miller in round one with the 15th overall pick and Brandon Parker with the first pick in the third round. Which one of those two players is more likely to be successful at the NFL level? I think Colton Miller is probably more likely to be successful because, dare I say it, his technique is better, even though it's not great. He has the false step in his pass protection. That's going to be a huge, huge issue for him. So, gosh, I don't know. But I heard that Brandon Parker was absolutely shocked when he got picked. His team thought that, you know, his scouts, his agents, everything like that, people around him thought he wasn't going to be selected until mid-day three, early day three, and then he went first pick in the third round. So just crazy. I can't believe that they did that. And he's, he plays so upright and he's stiff. I mean, he's got length and he's got some athleticism, but I, I just can't believe that was the pick, especially after going with Colton Miller. So I, I think Colton Miller is more likely to be successful because he does have freakish athletic traits, but you're going to have to tear down that technique from the ground up. And I just, both of these picks, especially, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. Tom Cable is a guy that they've constantly brought in these raw athletes for Seattle and year after year, he fails to develop them into adequate NFL players. So here we are, Colton Miller and Brandon Parker, two extremely raw tackles. Good athletic tools, good size, everything like that. But, gosh, there's so much more to playing tackle than just being long and being athletic. So uh, I, feel bad. I feel bad for Derek Carr because Donald Penn is you know, approaching the end of his career. And if these are the two guys that are going to be protecting him, when you have to go against Bradley Chubb and Von Miller, good luck. Yeah, Sam Melvin Egram and Joey Bosa, too. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah, that's four games a year. Just like, there's no way. It's I, I understand that David Carr was out of the league because he got hit around a lot. And the, the Texans offensive line back then is nothing compared to what the Raiders have now, especially because they have some talent on the interior. But those edge rushers are going to kill those tackles. Just absolutely kill them. Yes, and just a curious question. Colt Miller is definitely an athletic project uh, at offensive tackle, but you could argue the Broncos took an athletic project uh, last year in Garrett Bowles. How does Colt Miller compare to Garrett Bowles coming into the league? Much more of a passive blocker. Garrett Bowles, while he is a crazy good athlete for the position, he has something that you can't coach, and that is mentality. Garrett Bowles plays mean, and it transfers to his ability in the ground game, you know, finishing blocks, everything like that. Colton Miller, his balance is out of whack. He's a, he's a good athlete, but his technique is so just discombobulated and he does not play with that edge and that, you know, desire to embarrass people across from him that you saw from Garrett Bowles when he was at Utah and with the Broncos, quite frankly. So also Garrett Bowles was much more of a, a ball of clay compared to Colton Miller. The issue with Colton Miller, it's, it's again, it's, it's muscle memory. He's been playing with this wrong broad technique for two, three seasons now at UCLA and it wasn't corrected. Garrett Bowles was a defensive tackle at Snow Valley before moving to offensive tackle. So what is this going to be? His third year, fourth year playing offensive tackle compared to Colton Miller, who's been playing there for a bit longer. So I, it, you just you can't. They're both good, athletic, you know, decently sized white West Coast playing tackles. But Garrett Bowles brings much more in the ground game, and just I think because he was more raw as far as his technique, I think he was going to be able to get better quicker because it's not like the the wrong technique was practiced over and over again which is what i saw with colton miller yes and the sad truth is uh who trusts tom cable to develop him i don't do you oh absolutely not yes and outside of those two picks though there is a chance there is a chance that the raiders will come away with three potential steals from this draft 
With their second third round pick, they selected Arden Key, the super promising pass rusher yet off the field head case out of LSU. In round four, they selected Wisconsin cornerback Nick Nelson, who could have been a day two pick if it weren't for the torn meniscus he suffered during a pre-draft workout. And last but not least, they selected Michigan defensive tackle Maurice Hurst, arguably a top 15 talent who slid all the way to round five due to tremendous concerns about the heart condition he was diagnosed with at the combine. Nearly half the league, according to Mike Mayock, had Hurst off their board because of widespread fears that his malady could cause him to die on the football field. How big of a chance do you think that there is two of those three players that turn out to be mainstays for the Raiders? I think that there's a reason that these guys were fell to where they fell, if that makes sense. Arden Key, it's not just the, the questions off the field, but on the field as well. I mean, he tested horribly at the combine. I mean, what is his going to be his playing weight? You know, he said he played at 260, 270 this year, but his junior year or his sophomore year when he was a much better player on the field, he played at 235 or something like that. So there's just a lot of concerns there beyond the huge concerns as far as personality and work ethic. And there's in the NFL, effort beats talent every single day. So he's somebody that I personally would not have taken. I understand taking him this late. It makes sense, but there's, there's a huge bust potential there. Nick Nelson, I think he has, Besides the injury, I think he's a limited athlete. You know, he doesn't really have a dominant trait. I think he can end up a starting cornerback in this league, but there's nothing there that makes me think, you know, a a number one cornerback in the NFL. So he's probably the safest one of these guys, but has the lowest ceiling of them. And I like Maurice's Hurst game. I always thought he was a little bit overrated by some in draft Twitter. I think he has an odd body type. I think he's very scheme dependent, a guy that was probably only going to be a three tech and a four, three type of defense. And, he, you know, he doesn't have the length or the power that you look for for a four or five tech and definitely not a one or zero. So a three tech guy that he does fire off pretty well. But I, I, I don't know. I never was that big on him compared to some other people. But still getting him this this far down in the draft, you know, the 140th overall pick. That's that's a good value. But the heart concern is a obviously a huge one. And I gosh, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I do have a bachelor's degree in science, but I'm not a doctor. So I can't I can't speak to the specifics of his heart malady, but the talent is there to be very good. And if he can stay healthy, putting him with Mac, that's that has a high potential to be very effective for that Raiders front. And they, they need a guy on that interior to step up because they've used a lot of draft capital on that interior. I mean, Vanderdose last season, uh, Justin Ellis a couple of years ago, Mario Edwards Jr. So if Maurice Hurst can show up and be a solid pass rusher on the inside and help Mac on that edge, that'll be end up being a good pick. I just, gosh, that heart concern, it's, it's real. So I don't know. I just I just hope the best for him. I'm not a Raider fan by any means, but I, I hope he can stay healthy and be productive because that's that's extremely concerning. I hope he can as well. And now moving on to the Chargers, who arguably came away with the biggest steal of the first round as Derwin James inexplicably fell all the way to them at 17 overall. He is an absolute perfect fit for Gus Bradley's defense that he will likely assume the Cam Chancellor role in that scheme. Last year, the Chargers were third in total defense, but there are still some areas, most notably run defense, that need improvement. How does Derwin James help the Chargers defense go from a very, very good unit to a great, if not elite, unit? Well, they need talent on that back end of the defense. It's something they've lacked since Eric Weddle left for Baltimore, and they've been trotting out safeties that, gosh, it's even hard to name them. Trey Boston, Adai, uh, Atari Bigby, we'll throw back there. But it's just they really could use a playmaker on that back end, especially when you have the pass rushing options that they do in Ingram and Bosa. So you add Duran James back there who can cover a lot of ground. And I, he's, 
he's literally the perfect chess piece in the back. I think looking at their depth chart, he's probably going to have to play a little more single high than I would want him to play. He can do it. I just think he's better at a strong safety and a, a big nickel slash dime backer, but he can do it and play all across that back end. And I think the turnovers are going to come for him. He, there was a, that was a big question for him early on this season for Michigan state. You know, why isn't Derwin James getting, getting the football? Why isn't he getting turnovers? Well, when you have a good pass rush and you have a guy with range and hopefully the freedom that they'll probably give him on that back end, he's going to get his hand on, hands on some footballs. So I'm, I'm very sad that he went to the Chargers as a Bronco analyst and fan, but it's a great pick. And I, I, I thought he was a top 10 player in this draft. So good job, Chargers, and way to keep adding to that defense. I think Chargers are one of the more dangerous teams in the NFL this season, and they're probably my sleeper team in the AFC. Oh, if you can call them a sleeper. Oh my God, I don't call them a sleeper. I think they are the team, if they stay healthy, that is best equipped to defeat the Patriots in the playoffs. I'm not kidding, man. With uh, Phillip Rivers still playing at a high level, Keenan Allen coming off a career year, uh, the offensive line is going to get a lot better with a four slamp coming back from injury and the addition of Mike Pouncey uh, in free agency. I'm hoping Mike Williams uh, takes that next step as expected this year, and Hunter Henry is going to grow into that uh, alpha dog role at tight end. Uh, they have an explosive offense go along with that defense they could be the most balanced team in the afc period yep top 10 offense top 10 defense in the nfl so when you got pass rushers like that and a franchise quarterback and what looks like a solid group of weapons including uh, melvin gordon as well running behind the offensive line that looks like it's gotten better each and every season over the last couple years so i those chargers are definitely a team that i think you know, they've been cl- so close to getting over that hump for a number of years. I hate to be that guy, you know, because every year people are predicting it, but I think this is going to be the year when the Chargers finally get over that hump. I would expect nothing less for the Chargers. I expect them to make a deep run into the playoffs uh, this year, but there's still a little bit of a weakness left on the Chargers, as I alluded to, on that defense, that is. And they tried to solve that problem on day two that was still plaguing the middle of their defense with a USC linebacker, Yuchenna Nwosu, who... As you said, on the last time we got together, he projects better as an off-ball outside linebacker. And uh, North Carolina State defensive tackle Justin Jones, a teammate of Bradley Chubb, that helped uh, clear the way for him to get to the quarterback down in Raleigh. Uh, how do both of those players help solve the run defense problems for the Chargers? Because uh, keep it by the Chargers, despite being third overall in total defense, they still allowed a league-worst 4.9 yards per carry last year. I'm honestly not sure how they're going to use Uchenna Nwosu. He's a guy that he came to USC actually as a safety recruit, and he moved from off-ball linebacker to edge off-ball, kind of a hybrid there. He's still very raw as far as his edge rushing ability, and they have both in Ingram, so are they going to use him as that third edge rusher, or is he going to move more to that 3-4 off-ball role where he's going to be asked to fill gaps more and play coverage? He did show pretty well in coverage from the tape that I watched from that 3-4 edge position, so there is some versatility there, but how they use him, I'm, I'm very intrigued to watch you know, just what, what the coaching staff decides to use him and how they mold him. He's still pretty raw as a player, but I, there's a lot of talent there, so it'll be an interesting one to watch. As far as Justin Jones, I think this was a little bit of a reach for him. Personally, I thought he was more of a early day three player because he lacked some of the traits, the tools, but I, actually, I liked B.J. Hill a little bit more who played next to him. A very talented NC State defensive line this year. Wow, I remember just following them this year. And Justin Jones is one I like. He's probably going to need a season to kind of get that body in shape and you know get that NFL strength and conditioning and technique down. But I think he does project as a solid interior pass rusher at worst. 
he'll probably be a number three defensive tackle on a defensive front. But I think in a couple seasons, he could definitely end up a starter in that interior. But his year one impact, I, I think it'll be somewhat limited. Uh, thank you, Nick. And now moving on to the Kansas City Chiefs, who enter year one of the Pat Mahomes era, and they obviously uh, built that offense around Pat Mahomes. It's going to be a very explosive offense, but they came into the draft needing an overhaul on defense, and they spent all their six picks on that side of the ball, and they kicked off their draft on day two since they didn't have any first-round picks because they traded uh, their first-rounder this year for Pat Mahomes last year. And they secured a late riser in Ole Miss defensive lineman Breland Speaks. Mike Mayock lauded the pick, citing Speaks' inside-outside versatility. But draft Twitter, on the other hand, had a completely different reaction, calling it a massive reach. What is your take on the chief selection of Breland Speaks? I don't think it was a massive reach, but I wouldn't be lauding it like Mayock did. I think Speaks has a very unique skill set. I think he's a better prospect than Demarcus Walker was, who the Broncos selected last season, because I think he offers more power, and he's not such a huge liability in the run game, but he's still pretty raw, he, and the Chiefs have shown they can develop these interior defensive linemen, so I'll give them the benefit of the doubt there. Um, he does flash the ability to get after the quarterback, and I think he does have the, the body type, at least what I saw on tape, that he could probably do one gap or two gap. I think he's a little bit better as a one gap. But still, he's a, he's a versatile pass rusher on that defensive line, and the Chiefs really need some defensive line help. So they, they actually used their, their first two picks there on that positional group. So I, I don't hate the pick. I just think it was probably about 20 to 30 picks sooner than I would have taken him. But I get it, and if you can get a guy that you believe in as an interior pass rusher and you think you can develop him, then I get it. I just think it, it was a little bit early because he's, he's still developing there in, as far as his inside-outside game. He most certainly is, and you mentioned that they used uh, their first two picks on the defensive line position, and they continued with Derek Noddy out of Florida State. And Noddy, on the other hand, is uh, terrific against the run from what I gathered from the NFL Network broadcast, but does he offer any upside as a pass rusher himself? He's not really going to be a pass rusher. That's not his game. I mean, he's not a total liability there where he's just you know occupying space. He will press the pocket. And you saw that a lot. You know, he would be getting double teamed and free up to Marcus Walker and Josh Sweat, you know, two seasons ago watching that tape. But not not as a solid defensive tackle. I mean, some people at the beginning of this draft cycle, some people are projecting him a bottom of the first round pick. He doesn't have, you know, any super dynamic traits. You know, he's not a monster power guy. He's not super athletic. He does have some lateral agility, but he's not, you know, super athletic. He just he's not a huge upside defensive tackle. But very safe, you know, he has a role coming in the NFL immediately, and I, he's going to be a solid player for them. I mean, this, it makes a lot of sense. I feel like the Chiefs recently, they've been going with a little bit more upside on that defensive line. You know, took Passigno last year and speaks this season, but not he's a guy, not as high of a ceiling, but he's going to have a role in the NFL, and I think he's going to have day one uh, contributions on that defensive line. Yes, and of the remaining four picks the Chiefs made outside of Breland Speaks and Derek Noddy, which one do you see making the most productive impact? Probably Dorian O'Daniel, just because that he's, he's listed as a linebacker, but he's more of a box safety dimebacker type, and he was one of my favorite coverage linebackers this past season. He's so smooth. He's going to have issues you know, if he's asked to play in the box consistently, but the Chiefs have used that dimebacker type year after year in that defense, so I think Dorian O'Daniel is going to have a good role for him there. And he's a player that I kind of compared to uh, Sua Cravens. You know, that's, that's the same kind of role in the NFL. 
And I got to say earlier, you mentioned the Chiefs used all six of their picks on the defensive side of the ball. That's true and false because their last pick, which was the one that had me scratching my head the most, oh, yeah. drafted defensive tackle, Khalil McKenzie, the son of Reggie McKenzie. And he's, he played defensive tackle for Tennessee, but they're going to move him to offensive guard. So that's, <laughs> I just think that I always think that's so bizarre. Like if you're going to move a guy at positions, I'm probably not going to use a draft pick on them. You can probably do that with an undrafted free agent type, but using a six round pick and moving that guy from defense to offense. I, I, I mean, good luck. <laughs> and I got a question. Did the chiefs kidnap Tom Cable to make that pick for them? I I was thinking the exact same thing. I would not have been surprised if the if the Raiders had done that. I'm I, when they said Khalil McKenzie and they're going to move him to guard. I'm like, wait a second. Are we sure that wasn't the Raiders? So I was thinking the same thing. Yes, he is Nick Kendall, ladies and gentlemen, NFL draft analyst for MileHighHuddle.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Nick Kendall MHH. Nick, it is always a pleasure having you on this program. Our discussions just get better and more interesting each and every time. But before you go, I like to play a little game with you, and this is called Over. Action or not an overreaction and in this game we will discuss one of the uh, draft prospects selected by either the broncos chiefs raiders or chargers uh, that we haven't discussed and uh, i will read a statement and you your job will be to determine whether i am overreacting or not overreacting and here we go starting with the broncos royce freeman will be the lead dog in the broncos running back by committee averaging 15 to 20 touches per game I think you're right on the mark there. I think it's very possible. I, I do expect Booker to be the starter this year, but watching Freeman again, I don't think he has a tremendous ceiling, but you know what you're going to get. He has a day one role to find, and he's probably the best between the tackles runner that this team will have this season. So I think not an over or an underreaction. I think you're right on the money. Moving on to the Raiders, P.J. Hall will eventually give the Raiders an interior pass rushing threat similar to Grady Jarrett of the Falcons. I'm going to call that an overreaction. I was a, this was before my draft Twitter days, but I was a Grady Jarrett truther. I absolutely loved him. I was one of the Broncos to take him so bad. And I just do not see watching PJ Hall. I mean, that dude's on his back way too often for the, the type of competition he was playing against. So I thought that this was a massive reach. And I think that's a, that's an overreaction. Moving on to the chargers, my man from my backyard, Evanston, Illinois, who played at Northwestern university, Justin Jackson will take Austin Eckler's job away as the Chargers' number two running back behind Melvin Gordon. I I think that's possible, but Eckler, I was really impressed with him last year, so I'm going to go with that being an overreaction, but I think Justin Jackson will have himself a role on the Chargers team because he's a pretty good overall back. Yeah, I agree. Justin Jackson is too talented to keep off that Chargers roster. And last but not least, we end with the Chiefs yet again. Tremont Smith, the corner they selected out of Central Arkansas on late day three, he will eventually become a starting boundary corner for Kansas City. I think that is possible. I won't call that an overreaction or an underreaction. So we will we will see with that one. But I think I think you're right on the money. I don't think that's either an over or an underreaction. Nick Kendall, it's always a pleasure, man. We hope to have you back on again very very soon. Yeah, thank you very much. I always love coming on. I love talking with you on Twitter and. I am just ready for football to get here again, but I'm going to enjoy this spring and summer while I can because winter lasted way too long this year. I know you're in the same boat being uh, in Illinois and the Midwest like me. Most definitely, Nick. Thank you very much. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch with D-Crom. Stay tuned for the remainder of the final leg of our 2018 Dash to the Draft series. Also, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that's Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an 
iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes rating and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Nick Kendall, especially since there's never an off-season for talking football. For Nick Kendall, our producer Chris Broadhead, this is David Cromwell saying so long and as usual, stay awesome.